Hello and welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and mental health. I'm clinical psychologist Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host Dr. Reed Robison and I are joined by returning guest Vari Macbeth. Vari is a clinical social worker and therapist who employs ketamine-assisted therapy regularly in her work. In this episode, we discuss psycholytic ketamine-assisted therapy. We talk about what it is, how it differs from psychedelic cap, indications and contraindications, and much, much more. Please enjoy. All right, welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers. Uh, today we are joined again by Vari Macbeth. Vari, for, the, for our listeners who haven't heard our earlier episodes, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, I'm Vari Macbeth. I'm a psychotherapist and just love getting to talk with people and hear their stories and be inspired by the cool things they're learning and overcoming. So. And uh, you do some, you work with some pretty cool treatment mod- modalities. You do Santray, you do EMDR. And today we're going to be talking about psycholytic psychotherapy using ketamine, um, another thing that you do quite a bit of. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen some really incredible things. I, I think one of the best things about psycholytic um, psychotherapy is how quickly it moves the process along. Yeah. That's something that could take years, can, can really be shortened down to months. Yeah, it's one of the things we love about working with psychedelic medicine, um, but ketamine in particular. So the difference between what we're calling psycholytic and what we might call a psychedelic approach using something like ketamine. So the word psychedelic uh, means, among other things, mind manifesting to or soul manifesting, right? You have this um, high-dose experience that causes you to go deep, and bring forth something that might be in your subconscious mind, right? That might be one way to think about psychedelic. Mm -hmm. Psycholytic, or like lysis, is dissolving. So you can think of psycholytic as dissolving the ego, or dissolving the mind, or from a therapeutic perspective, we're dissolving normal consciousness. We're not going completely in, you know, to the inner recesses, the dungeons of our unconscious, like we might with a full psychedelic dose, But we're just sort of softening the constricting hold that normal consciousness has on us, a break from sort of our conditioned mind, which is one of the reasons I think it accelerates the therapy process. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I like that. I like to think of it as dissolving the walls in the way of accessing the material you want to work with in therapy. Yeah, like I've had lots of clients where we'll be doing EMDR and they're just like, I don't... I just feel like there's these walls, like, and I don't know how to put them down. I don't know how to get them down. And so there's some great tools that we have in EMDR to try and create a safer space and to help those walls go down. But using um, ketamine really can help just do that right away. Yeah. So that kind of makes sense. I mean, I know it makes sense to you guys. We're here to talk about it. But the difference between, <laughs> hey, audience, does that kind of make sense? <laughs> Therapy in a bottle. Yeah. What have we called it before? Liquid perspective, you know? You know, one way to look at it is uh, the psychedelic dosing generally only requires two or three sessions, or even one can make big shifts, and it's more of an internal experience, um, whereas psycholytic psychotherapy is usually over many sessions or many weeks, even though it can accelerate the process many fold compared to 
regular therapy without the help of medicine where you run into those walls. It's, it's more an interactive process and the therapy becomes more relevant. It's less holding space for a deep journey and more interacting, guiding uh, between, uh, say, client and therapist. Yeah, in some cases, it might look very much like a therapy session without the medicine. You have the same types of interactions. You're making the same kinds of interventions as a therapist. It's just added along by mm-hmm. the, having the ketamine on board. So therapists mm-hmm. just use it to cheat and become better yeah. therapists, essentially. <laughs> it's, it's the game genie for therapists, if any of you are old enough to, <laughs> and nerdy Therapy enough hack. to and remember I, the game genie. I still think that it requires like making sure that you know you do the good therapy work like you have to have that it doesn't it doesn't have a cheat with it I don't think that at all I think it just helps and enhances and I think one of the even it doesn't really help the therapist as much as it helps the client it helps the client have a better experience so if you're doing really hard work like trauma that can be really really painful and create really good healing it's still painful and it's still difficult and it's still such hard work so that when they go home and it was really 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 hard it's so difficult to be like that was hard and I'm going back I'm going back again and so you have lots of dropouts with with things like phobias or traumas or whatever and I think this can help the actual therapy not be as difficult Mm -hmm. for it to be a little bit feel a little bit safer a little bit less heavy and hard and so it helps so clients want to come back and they're still doing that hard work it just doesn't feel as hard uh, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, there's no such thing as a panacea in mental health uh, or for the, the human condition, right? Um, there are no shortcuts necessarily, but this is uh, an assist. Mm-hmm. And I like the way you described it, Vari, because certainly when we're doing psycholytic psychotherapy with ketamine, it is still very challenging. Mm-hmm. And like Reed said, mm-hmm. ketamine helps bring the walls down. It doesn't make the things behind the walls not there, right? We still have to access yeah. the stuff that's behind the walls and deal with it. Mm-hmm. I remember I had a psycholytic session with a client. She was experiencing a lot of really symbolic journey-like imagery. She would, she would close her eyes and experience it, open it, and we'd talk about it. And uh, she encountered one of those walls, was feeling some intense resistance, and all I really needed to say was, you know, surrender and lean forward. And without ketamine, that would have been very difficult uh-huh. for this person. And with ketamine, she was just kind of like, okay, deep breath. And pretty soon she was on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. It just gives you that assist. It just helps it make it a little bit easier. But you still have to do the work for sure. And, yeah. and I agree. I was being facetious in my therapy <laughs> hat comment because I think it actually requires more skill, much more skill mm. uh, from the therapist when you're doing psycholytic therapy because it's so dependent on the therapy skills in the room, uh, whereas a deep psychedelic journey the therapy work is more in the preparation and integration and then this the space holding and supporting is seems a little bit easier to learn than the some of the modalities that pair well with psycholytic psychotherapy. Yeah, and I think it's so great that you did bring up that point because I think that's something that can be can that people can make a mistake about is thinking that it's a cheat or that it makes it, you know, it's somehow shortcutting. And so it's good to bring up that point and to address that for sure. Cause yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I remember when I was first researching and getting into psychedelic medicine, um, the idea that it could do, quote unquote, do some of the work for me Mm. as a therapist was appealing to me at the time because I was starting to feel kind of burned out as a therapist, kind of burned out with, with how, with, I don't want to say how little we can do because we can do a lot, but I was becoming dissatisfied with what I could do as a therapist. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, here's a thing that could that's that could really, really help therapy along, really, really help my clients and myself who have hit brick walls. Um, so that's kind of what was appealing about it. But again, like all things, as I've gotten into it and started to work with the medicine, I've discovered, as we've been talking about, there's no such thing as a shortcut or a cheat code. Yeah. And there's no end to how much you can learn as a therapist, right? How much skill you can add and tools to your toolkit. But I do think uh, psycholytic therapy with ketamine does supercharge your therapy, helps the clients access things that are harder to access, um, you know, in a, in a significant way. And it is different than MDMA, for example, where uh, you can more so just get out of the way of the medicine and watch the empathogen work its magic in some ways mm-hmm. um, there's still a lot of skill required but uh, but with psycholytic therapy with ketamine I think you have to bring a lot more of that to the equation mm-hmm. so true and when you're talking about that I was, an image that came to mind is that you have all these tools in your toolbox one of those is having like a therapist that you trust and that therapeutic alliance and that helps you do the work as a client and then this is just another partner in that that helps make things a little bit easier that that helps you get over that hump just like a really good therapist can help right. it's just another thing to help make it easier for the client and more doable right yeah i've used ketamine with clients who i've been seeing for years mm. um where you know we've done a we've covered a lot of therapeutic ground we have a really good strong therapeutic foundation a relationship foundation um, that's built on, you know, therapeutic ruptures in the relationship and repairs. And it's only at that point that we decide, let's try to use ketamine to see what else we can do here. And I think for some of these people, without that strong therapeutic relationship foundation that we have, they wouldn't have had the ketamine experiences that they had. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're totally right. Talk about psychedelics as being nonspecific amplifiers. They'll amplify the adaptive. Sometimes they'll amplify things in there that are really, really difficult to Mm. cope with. So when you have some good stuff, some good, strong foundations in there, you're going to amplify it with something like ketamine. Yeah, and something that um, is kind of illustrated in EMDR when you talk about the difference in being re-experiencing the trauma and being in the trauma versus watching it like you're in a movie. And I feel like it gives you that same kind of metaphorical distance doing a psycholytic experience. You're able to take a, a step back a little bit and not be so immersed in the emotion, in the pain. And there's still some of that that's there, but not to an overwhelming extent. So you still have a nice window of tolerance where you're not hyper-aroused or hypo-aroused. It helps you stay in that window of tolerance where you can do difficult work, but not too difficult if that makes sense right so um i'm sure there are people in our audience that would want to know what does a psycholytic ketamine session look like Mm -hmm. and it can look like many things um why don't we start with uh how we give the medicine so it lends itself well to both individual and group work Mm -hmm. 
the psycholytic dosing, and we give it in a number of different ways, through lozenges from a compounding pharmacy, nasal spray, compounded as well, or the other day, you and I, Steve, gave uh, psycholytic dosing in a group setting with uh, sublingual ketamine through uh, ketamine liquid held in the mouth for, say, 12 minutes. Yeah, which was super cool, by the way. That yeah. It was, was a really fun group to do. Yeah, what did you like about it? I love I love group work. I always have. You know, my dissertation was validating a measure of the therapeutic relationship in, mm-hmm. in group therapy. There's something magical and synergistic and healing about being with peers in addition to expert support in the form of therapists or group facilitators. You can get something from a peer in a group that you can't get from a therapist, I think. Mm-hmm. A level of like, hey, man, I'm there with you. Yeah. That is really special. And so to have everybody in there with ketamine on board, all having their own experiences, the option to close their eyes and go deep if they wanted to, but also still present enough to open their eyes and interact, do some here and now work, get some feedback, was really special. Mm-hmm. This particular group also was united by a, a particular um, reason that they were there, which I think added to the therapeutic bond. Yeah, they were all healthcare workers. Uh, mm-hmm facing kind of burnout, trauma, stress, other things like that. So, and I agree, I love the power of a group. It seems to amplify things where you have all those people holding space or rallying around each other and learning from each other's experiences, both f- from their life journeys and from their ketamine journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, power of groups power of groups where psychedelics are present. I mean, there's probably a reason Burning Man is pretty cool and (laughs) popular and uh, why people enjoy being around others when they're using psychedelics psycho-spiritually or recreationally or what have you. Um, But in the sacred space of a therapy group or um, you know, in a uh, an ayahuasca retreat or something like that in in the jungle... There's there's a special ingredient that having other people present um, that's hard to achieve otherwise. I think. Yeah, and as humans, we we desperately need connection. We yeah. we crave that. We need to to have our experience mirrored in someone else. We need to know that we're seen, and it's so integral to to our well being. I think, and I think it's been so evident with having isolation and not being able to be around each other. Like that's something I keep hearing from people is how much they miss, you know, those hugs or talking with someone or having those connections in person. And so you take something like um, a psycholytic experience with all these other people with the same purpose and, and, and they've had the same kind of experience. And it's even more magical. It builds on those things that we need as humans anyway, and it just amplifies it. And even doing this podcast, I mean, it's so fun to do it with lots of people, like three different people, rather than you're just talking to yourself. <laughs> like, how many of those podcasts really work out where the person's just riffing? And so it's just fun to have the interaction, the dam- dynamic, and to fill each other's energy and to play off one another. And I think, like I said, it get, it gets amplified when you do it in a yeah. group experience, for sure. It's one of the reasons I love listening to podcasts like this. Uh, shameless plug, but it, I like listening to conversation <laughs> style podcasts yeah. because I like the dynamic of human interaction. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of interesting things happen 
alchemically when you're in a, a you know a conversation with yeah. people. Mm-hmm. I do love the solo podcasts from people who uh, are expert at delivering a message. Like mm-hmm. Reed and I have been listening to Andrew Huberman's podcast a lot lately. Super brilliant scientist, neuroscientist, lecturer. Um, shout out for shout out. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of the interview style. For that yeah. Reason. I had a yoga teacher describe it once that stuck with me of when you do your home practice, same goes with, say, meditation or many other things. It's a lot harder. It takes a lot more energy and discipline to get on your mat, do your practice and stay there and not wander off Mm -hmm. and to go deep. Whereas the more people around you, the more you amplify one another's Mm -hmm. energy. Um, in really a palpable way where you build on each other, you're flowing together through this process um, fueled by one another. Yeah. Totally. It makes me think, you know, I, I had a brief stint as a cult member in the CrossFit community mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I, I, I loved it. Not necessarily because I thought the exercises were great. I mean, they were fine until I got hurt like everyone else that does CrossFit, but um, sorry, CrossFitters. Uh, but what I loved about it was the community. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Crossfitters are going to jump <laughs> on our comment. Out. Screw you, man. You don't understand. Oh, I think I see one. Yeah, <laughs> it's because your form was bad. Hey, my form was great. Okay. I just paid very close attention to my shoulder positioning and I tore my leg. Sounds like your, this, is a, this is a trigger point. I am for not you. defensive, Barry. <laughs> Maybe Stop it was your it. ego the reason you got injured. I probably. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't blame. Who's the CrossFit? Greg Glassman, the guy who invented CrossFit. Namaste. But um, I loved the community aspect. Of yeah. It. And I'd get up at 530 in the morning in the winter and go there because I wanted to see my CrossFit buddies mm. and get our sweat on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something really cool about that community. I'm struggling st- together, you know. I'm still hanging on to it um, without injury. Well, you're, Reed, he's coming to your door. But Reed, <laughs> Reed has, has uh, buttery joints from all his years of, as a yogi. Maybe that's the secret. Yoga for buttery joints and for leaving your ego at the door of CrossFit. <laughs> that was my problem. I came in having been sitting in a chair for the last 15 years and then started <laughs> doing overhead yeah. snatches for time. Yeah. And, uh, and we all get injured, you know. And the ego of, of a, <laughs> on a cold, a 17-year-old trapped in a, a man's body. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were, my kids and I were all talking about at dinner, we were talking about how we all have different social needs like some of my kids are more introverted some of mine are more extroverted but we're all noticing how much we need some social interaction and how we were even joking around about how solitary confinement is a is torture and a punishment for a reason because even even if we just need a little bit of social interaction we all need that we we lean on each other and like we're all walking each other home we really need that and I think that can be such a cool factor in group work. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, psycholytic is different in some instances, the route of administration. We can give a full psychedelic dose in a lozenge or uh, sublingually, but um, different in the dosage, the amount, and then how much we're interacting in the session. Yeah, it comes down to dose mostly. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. can give an IM injection at a low dose mm-hmm. and do a psycholytic right. session. Um, yeah. We often don't because you can do it in other more practical ways, like a lozenge lasting an hour or so, or um, other ways of sublingual intranasal 
Um, yeah, and just like a full ketamine experience, it's so the dosing is so individual. So it takes a little bit of practice of like trying out a low dose and seeing how is that for that person. What are they noticing? Are they noticing that they're having visuals? Because that's usually getting into more of a mystical or full ketamine experience. Are they able to still talk and do your typical talk therapy or another modality work? Or are they falling asleep on the couch, you know? And so it's, it's, it, it takes some tweaking to find out what works for them. So I do know of a provider who likes to use nasal spray for that purpose because mm-hmm. it's easier to administer to tweak so Mm -hmm. you know a couple puffs each nostril see if it's hitting you uh if it's not you hit again and then you're in the level of experience you need for therapy and then depending on how long the session is as it's wearing off you could always re-administer because the absorption is pretty fast that would be difficult to do sublingually so Mm. you can get creative i guess is the punchline yeah yeah, yeah and, and for the dose finding is a good point. So typically we'll go into psycholytic therapy after someone's done psychedelic mm-hmm. ketamine with us. Mm-hmm. Although psycholytic psychotherapy can be useful um, as a starting point for those really anxious about going deep into a psychedelic experience, it's just uh, that dose finding in the ketamine room or in the IM sessions helps us yeah. pick a lozenge and help someone go into a, a therapy session knowing how they respond and having a good range dialed in already. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then also assessing for safety or any concerns that might be around that or they're more closely monitored, right? Yeah. By someone who's medically trained. Yeah, but when we start someone out on a very low dose of ketamine, it essentially is more psycholytic. Mm-hmm. And I remember, well... More times than I can count, people who have been really scared going into a ketamine experience um, because it's uncertain. They don't know what to expect. But then after it's on board, it's almost not for everyone, but for most people, it's a very calming, positive, euphoric experience, even though there's a high amount of emotionality that can Mm -hmm. come up. um, You know, they also come out of that seeing the value of those tears that came up and revisiting these things with uh, with uh, more empathy and uh, openness. Yeah. Yeah. So what types of conditions are we treating with psycholytic psychotherapy? We, so, we'll go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. Both uh, go at the same time. Okay, mm-hmm. ready? <laughs> go. You've already, okay. yeah. Um, I was just going to say that a lot of times it's, it's been with people where we're hitting a roadblock in therapy or um, it they have some really, you know, hard traumatic things that we think that we need a little bit of an extra support or help. Um, and it might be something that then we talk to their prescriber about. Or maybe they've already had a ketamine experience, had some great breakthroughs, and they feel comfortable with that medicine and want to use it in their therapy to just um, get get better results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've used that. I've done it that way for a lot of clients who have had full psychedelic ketamine treatments. Maybe they've gone through you know a typical course of three to six. They've gotten a lot out of it, and then like it always does, the black dog of depression returns. Often does. Shouldn't say always. And they need a booster. They might not need to go back into full psychedelic sessions, 
but um, they can really benefit from a psycholytic session. Mm-hmm. So I've done psycholytic as a booster too. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and what were you going to say, Reed? Oh, something similar to what you mentioned is how useful it can be for trauma work mm-hmm. because of what we were describing earlier, how ketamine is calming mm-hmm. and does give you access to previously walled off, inaccessible, very difficult memories or emotional states. And, yeah. and But I like, I like what you said as well, Vari, about um, whenever someone is stuck in therapy, we can think about it to uh, apply some psycholytica to those walls that are in the way of progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little cerebral WD-40. Mm-hmm. Put it in the gears. Um, and if you're interested, dear listener, in another episode we did on ketamine and trauma, we just recorded one with uh, our own Hannah Cross. So that should be published by the time you're listening to this one. So look that one up. Um, but yeah, there are also mental illnesses or mental health conditions um, that where stuckness is a feature mm-hmm. of that particular condition. So we talk about ketamine slowing down thoughts and um, giving you a break from normal consciousness or from moving you from either end of the spectrum on that spectrum of the entropic, entropic brain to center, to more balance. So conditions like OCD, for example. Uh, or we were talking before we were recording about phobias, people who are intensely afraid or resistant to certain things. Eating disorders. Yeah, there you go. Something that I've noticed with um, clients that have OCD, it's even in a psycholytic experience, it's the same thing as a full ketamine experience where it'll turn off the OCD for just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's something that they've used all, tried to use all these skills for, done so much therapeutic work for, and they just, they know it here, how to how maybe it should work to turn it off. But it's just, it's, it's like they, it, it's not possible. And so it gives them that hour where it's off for mm-hmm. the first time maybe in their entire life where that OCD brain isn't there anymore. And they have that felt sense of what's that like? And the more times that happens, the more they're like, oh, that's what it's like. And now in my everyday life, maybe I can get there because I've been there before. Like I know the destination. And like I, I just had someone recently telling me like that that's been one of the most meaningful things for them is just having that felt experience of having the OCD brain gone and what it feels like for it to be different. Yeah. Ketamine taught me as a mental health professional what the phrase felt sense mm. really means. Mm. Yeah. As, as a really cerebral dude, as an intellectualizer, as my, my uh, defense mechanism of choice, and as a trained CBT therapist, mm-hmm. I was always usually coming at my client's problem from the top down. And, you know, I'd heard the phrase felt sense and I kind of got it conceptually. Um, but with ketamine, I'm just seeing that connection that you're mm-hmm. describing, Vari, where what they understand in their mind, like, yeah, I know I don't have to wash my hands in this particular way so that my mom doesn't die. Right. But, I, but I, I'm still afraid, yeah. right? The amygdala is yeah. still turning on. My yeah. fight or flight system still kicks in. So ketamine, just for a moment, if, even if it is just for a moment, helps them connect the wires. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I just picture like these two big cables just magnet, mm-hmm. you know, magnetically fusing together where mm-hmm. they feel what it's like to not be afraid yeah. in the presence of the thing that has terrified them their whole lives. Yeah, and sometimes just in regular um, 
therapy sessions, you'll get those really special moments that are like those therapeutic insights that your client has where they're like, oh my gosh, like I get it. Mm-hmm. And and those come up all the time in therapy. It just happens more often, I feel like, with a psycholytic experience or a psychedelic experience where you have those, like Oprah calls them aha moments, right? It helps facilitate those a lot more frequently, I think. Yeah. Pretty sure Oprah didn't uh, start the aha no. Moment phrase, but, no, no, but. I'm, I'm cool with, with an over reference. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I like what you said about the rumination, though, and OCD. Yeah. We actually mm-hmm. had a client um, experience that as well very recently, mm-hmm. where it was a timeout from their OCD mm-hmm. ruminating thoughts, and mm-hmm. it was so beautiful and empowering for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen it countless times. I've also seen it many, many times with eating disorders where ketamine provided this not only time out from the rumination and the negative self-talk, mm. but uh, what emerged in that space was a sense of self-love that they hadn't experienced yeah. for longer than they can remember. Mm-hmm. That no mantra, that no like positive thinking can do because it does give you that felt sense. Like yeah. you, you understand it in deep down in your heart and I don't know why it happens but it happens right yeah it's a full body experience yeah. an embodied knowing yeah it's a knowing um, yeah but ketamine, ketamine as a chemical is really interesting because it does slow down your rate of thought mm-hmm. production and mm. you know they say that we have what 80,000 thoughts a day um, mind you most of them are kind of beneath the surface somewhat but you could see if that's the mean and there's probably a big standard deviation and if you have a very overactive monkey mind or if you're prone to kind of rumination and anxious thoughts there's a lot uh, to be gained by slowing that down Um, although as an anesthetic medicine as you get higher and higher in the doses thoughts slow way way down and it becomes uh you know, it becomes closer to an anesthetic at the 10 or 100 times a psycholytic dose. Right. Eventually they yeah. stop, right? Those yeah. <laughs> high enough on the dose and they stop and you're, yeah. Out, yeah. you're, you're unconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And something else with like what ketamine does as a medicine is, is it makes your brain more neuroplastic, right? And so when you're doing a psycholytic experiment, experience i don't know if so this will be good for you to check in if whether this is like medically true or not but just in my watching clients and their experience with it it does feel like they have that neuroplasticity even after after a psycholytic where it's happening in session where those ruts that they've gone through those those ways of thinking get smoothed over in session but then also outside of session it's also happening there too Mm -hmm. and i think that is backed by literature on ketamine and S-ketamine for that matter and other psychedelics with this window of neuroplasticity that opens up Mm -hmm. and we were talking about Huberman and one of the things he's been talking about recently is uh, the hypnotic state when you have a deep relaxation and uh, a higher focus and how um, if you were to do something intense for a little bit and then follow it with a 20-minute deep, non-sleep deep relaxation session, your neuroplasticity increases, your uh, your skill learning increases by, say, 50%. And I think that ketamine, psycholytic ketamine or otherwise, does something very similar in creating this trance-like state, this 
psycholytic state that does facilitate um, not only the openness to the therapeutic work, but the learning of skills and the making it stick. Right. Yeah. Well, and, the, and you could think of change in therapy as learning, as skill learning, right? It yeah. Is, it is still a learning activity when you have that felt sense we were talking about. It's a more impactful lesson than just you know listening to the lecture of your therapist or the book that you're reading or your own internal ego saying you shouldn't be afraid of X, Y, or Z. Why are you responding this way? Um, yeah, I've often wondered that, Reed, that, that you know we have the phrase sleep on it for a reason. There's, mm-hmm. There is something about uh, the brainwave state changes and what happens during sleep that uh, apparently consolidates and ex- memory and, and accelerates the learning process and skill acquisition. And you can, it sounds like, from what Huberman talks about, you can uh, create that in your waking mind through something like non-sleep deep rest or yoga nidra is that what yeah yoga nidra is a fascinating one um because well as a college student med student i was really in a neuroscience undergrad uh psychiatry resident i was really geeking out on that potential use of sleep like i would listen to lectures recorded even during my sleep as self-experiments back in the day but when i landed on yoga uh like a traditional say ashtanga or vinyasa practice a sweaty practice of doing this uh, mind-body contemplative work and then uh, stumbled on yoga nidra um, i think i got trained in maybe six seven years ago of a deep yogic sleep i found that to be this magic combination when you combine those two things of like active work and deep rest it's uh it's amazing what can happen and he does back it up with uh good evidence from his lab that I, mm-hmm. I really liked. Active work and deep rest. That basically describes the ketamine experience. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's active work going on. You have the opportunity to do some really hard work, like we've been saying. And then most people feel pretty chill afterward. Where this brain is slowed down, the miracle grow has been sprinkled on the neurons and the synapses, opportunities for new pathways to emerge. It is like uh, a miracle grow situation. We talk about intentions a lot in psychedelic uh, therapy and also in yoga. But when you have this fertile ground of uh, rest but active focus, say, on your intention, you, you have all the conditions there for planting a seed and letting it grow of something to will into your life or a change to make in your behavior patterns. Yeah. And so, like you said, like it's any, any sort of altered state of consciousness gives you that space to do that meaningful, in-depth, powerful, transformative work. Right. So whether that's hypnosis or meditation or yoga or ketamine or any other psychedelic, it, it provides that environment, that space for us to be able to have that kind of potential, I think. Altered states for altered traits. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you come up with that? No. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) I like it, though. I like it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, one of my faves. Yeah. Um, So something that I've thought a lot about with psycholytic is how it can really help in therapeutic modalities that create a lot of transformation and are really powerful and help make a lot of change and and do it in quickly and are research-based and evidence-based but they can be really difficult for the client or hard harder to 
have buy-in or to keep coming back. So um, with things like chair work, it's so transformative. It's so great. And it can be so vulnerable to be like basically acting or doing like kind of like um, improv or something, right? Role-playing, right? That's really hard for a lot of us. I mean, some of us really love doing that anyway, but I think the majority of us, that's really difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, psycholytic or helping bring those walls down a little bit so we're we're more childlike we're more playful we're more willing to take like tiny risks like that it just makes it easier for us to do those really really transformative therapy modalities yeah I had a client once who um, told me straight up I don't do role play don't do that <laughs> shit with me man yeah I'm not doing role play yeah and uh, I finally snuck some chair work in there one time. Psychedelic chair work? No, this was not <laughs> psychedelic. But I, you should, your comment, Barry, made me think that uh, doing a psycholytic session, if he were willing, would have helped us along, helped mm. us get there sooner. Mm. Uh, but the chair work we did, he later said, was the most memorable session of our yeah. hundreds of sessions yeah. with this particular person. And, and it's he great. Cite, he cited it often. Yeah, and it's great because you do have, like, you do have that feeling sometimes where it's like, I did such good work. This was so great. And then you still have that thing. I think we all have in our everyday life where we go for a really great run or whatever. And we're like, I feel so good. I'm going tomorrow. And then you get to tomorrow and it's like, you can't remember how great it was. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait, it was such a positive experience. Why am I not wanting to jump into that again? Cause it's still hard work. It's mm-hmm. still not fun. I mean, some people think it's fun, but it's it's still hard so like with him he had a great experience with the chair work but did he ever do the chair work again and so sometimes yeah he was still not super excited yeah yeah so sometimes we need that like extra handhold or whatever that i think a psycholytic can give you to to be like okay this like i i can do this i have a little extra help Mm -hmm. i mean psychedelic medicine is somewhat of a carrot to be dangled out in front of people to do deep therapeutic work uh, the medicine is not always needed. Uh, it yeah. certainly accelerates it for so many people, but uh, there there are so many other factors and there, and many paths up that same mountain. Yeah, like for me, like I'll I'll do exercise a thousand times over if it means someone else will be next to me talking to me, and so. Mm-hmm. Like, I think even in therapy, it can be that you you have this great therapeutic relationship with your therapist. And so things work that's really difficult or hard, you're like, I can do this because you've got that support, support system with you. And so, I, yeah, I totally agree. You don't need psychedelics to have that extra assist. Um, it can sometimes just be things like a nice warm blanket that you have during your session or a great therapist or a comfortable place to sit and talk kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts you two about psycholytic psychotherapy? I know we, we mentioned some things that our listeners might have to Google, um, but you have as easy access to the internet as we do guys. So uh, if you don't know what chair work is, Google it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to demonstrate it. Uh, Maybe not today. I'm I'm curious if you guys have seen like any drawbacks of psycholytic psychotherapy or um, huh. any things that things that haven't gone well, and then maybe some examples of when things have gone really well, mm-hmm. like specifically. Yeah, I know that for some people they get to where if they really like the ketamine experience, they're worried that they can't go to these deep places mm. without it. So it's it's Can we not a crutch. It, yeah, like a little bit of a psychological crutch. That's not necessarily difficult to overcome in, you know, in the therapy. That's good to acknowledge. Yeah, but 
and for that reason, I think it's important to do a course of psycholytic sessions, let's say, mm-hmm. whether it's three, four, five, six, pause, do regular sessions, mm-hmm. reevaluate um, your treatment planning every step of the way. But yeah. that's a good chance to assess and say, how are things going? How, where do we get to with the medicine without? And mm-hmm. is it really needed? And everything we do should be done with... Uh, good intention and mm-hmm. conscious exploration. Um, so, yeah, that doesn't yeah. practically become that big of an issue with our folks because of that. I almost never see it, but it's, you know, it's one of those outlier cases. And uh, Reed and I recorded an episode about uh, the abuse potential of ketamine, so that's always something we're taking into consideration. The short story is it's uh, the ways that we use it therapeutically I can't even think of a case where we've had somebody develop an unhealthy relationship to the medicine itself. And when I prescribe, uh, say, lozenges for psycholytic therapy, we'll store them for the client, and they'll come in and uh, we'll have one of our medical staff dose them right before they go into the session. So that helps mm-hmm. mitigate some of those risks as well and uh, I think is an important um, factor for many. Yeah. And for the providers who might prescribe the lozenges f- to take home, I've never heard of a provider prescribing enough for them to take home to, you know, develop a bad habit with them. Because um, I, I do know that there are some instances where, for maintenance, uh, some prescribers might be willing to send it home yeah. with the client. Yeah, we, we certainly do that when needed for... Uh, access to this important medicine for someone's severe, say, treatment-resistant depression, but we have our parameters there as well. Mm -hmm. Like, we need to have a known caregiver with whom we have contact, support person, who can help keep an eye on that, who will hold space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're even developing specific training modalities around that to help help with that. Because it can be a powerful approach and and very economically uh, feasible to uh, maintain someone's remission from depression, but also corrective experiences when, um, say, uh, partners or family members go through something like that together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something like you were talking about earlier, how it can be a carrot and it can be a really pleasant experience for some people. For other people, it's kind of a scary experience having ketamine or doing a psycholytic um, treatment. And so there can be those times where it's like that it's not pleasant. That feeling of not being in control mm-hmm. is is not, I mean, that's some work to do anyway, right? Because it's usually that that plays into other parts of their lives or is something that they have a hard time with of letting go of control. But it can mm-hmm. also make it mean it's not pleasant. And, and that can be a consideration sometimes that maybe, maybe ketamine isn't everybody's way of getting getting that assist yeah yeah in the, in the psychedelic therapy space you'll hear people say there's no such thing as a bad trip just a challenging one and i agree to an extent but for for some of our clients those quote-unquote challenging experiences are freaking terrifying mm-hmm. and you yeah. don't want to give trauma right. when you're trying to treat other trauma right yeah i was listening to uh, Phil Wolfson, our teacher and mentor, uh, speak at the Horizons Conference on, that's on YouTube. It's 2017 speech. Read, uh, sent it to me to listen to. And um, somebody asked him the question, you know, do you ever, are you concerned about re-traumatizing people with a psychedelic experience? 
And his answer was essentially, he's never seen the ketamine experience itself be traumatizing. Um, people are dealing with their traumas, and sometimes ketamine will escort them to the threshold of their trauma, which can be very difficult. It's kind of the point, right? We're trying to work with the difficult content in a therapeutic experience. Um, but in his vast experience, he said that he's never seen the ketamine trip itself be traumatizing. I had a client I was working with with a serious eating disorder and uh, PTSD who was getting low-dose ketamine for a number of sessions, and it was extremely unpleasant. Not into that traumatizing territory, but very scary and uncomfortable. And so uh, I sat down with uh, the client and her spouse, and we talked about what to do from there and decided we were going to go into psychedelic territory. I go two or three times the dose, um, a different form, and it was just like we call it sometimes a transformative journey. It was absolutely game-changing for the place they were able to get to there. So it it did help me see it was uh, one of many reminders that there is no one-size-fits-all approach. And mm-hmm. for some people do really well on psycholytic sessions, some people on psychedelic, and sometimes you need both. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's super rare having a negative or really, really difficult maybe even like small trauma experience with ketamine I've I think it happens and I think it's important to acknowledge that that can happen and just like any trauma that happens it can be it can be a place to do repair work to learn from it to help make something better the next time or to decide it's it's not for you or whatever so I think I think there is times when it can be not not good for someone you know and and something that that is rare and and most of the time it's amazing and the risks um the benefits likely outweigh the risks but most people right yeah and we try to do a thorough uh intake and screening assessment yeah right we're not just giving ketamine to just anybody that's right um we talk about some of the contraindications for psycholytic work um people who are of course active psychosis we're not going to give them more altered states of consciousness to cope with yeah or even recent or severe psychosis in the past Mm -hmm. to makes us think twice yeah yeah whether that's you know schizophrenia psychotic disorders or bipolar disorder um and then there's some debate in the field about how appropriate it might be for certain personality disorders um, uh, or dissociative disorders which we've also talked about on the podcast although in the 60s when the term psycholytic came about around the same time Humphrey Osmond coined the term psychedelic. They were using things like LSD and psilocybin in those two ways. Uh, Either psycholytic dosing, you might give 25 micrograms of LSD, let's say, versus a 200-plus microgram LSD session for a deep-dive transformative journey. And they would use psycholytic dosing for a lot of personality disorders back Mm. then, paired with... uh, psychodynamic psychotherapies yeah, and had some good success. So there's a lot of, it highlights for me that there's a lot of work to be done on the research front. Now we're seeing how well psychedelic medicines can work for a number of conditions, but it's time to get into the nuts and bolts mm-hmm. of the ways we use it 
and the different therapy modalities it pairs with, the different dosages and formats of individual groups and families. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and back in the 60s, they, they wondered if something like LSD could be a psychotomimetic such that they could study the psychotic mind, huh. you know, um, by inducing psychosis with this new substance. So as a way of understanding psychosis as it occurs naturally. Yeah, it was it was used for that. And actually, the, the first time I ever worked with ketamine even, it was, you know, I don't know if it was the first time. I'd started working with it uh, for depression, but I also... Um, came across this study I was asked to help with using ketamine to create this psychotic type state for testing of an antipsychotic intervention. Hmm. And so it does, we don't call it that often as we've talked about here before, but it does create that non-ordinary psychotic type state that uh, has a lot of therapeutic potential because it wears off and then you're back with all these insights and ideas without the constraints of our normal rules and ego structures. It's one of the things that excites me about the, the, our modern psychedelic renaissance is not only the treatment options we can now offer people as these things become legal um, and FDA approved, but also the, the kind of rigor that modern scientific approaches can bring to the subject matter. You know, lots yeah. of research was being done back in the 50s and 60s, but you know, a lot of uh, folks will criticize that research as being methodologically not as rigorous as what we can do now. So we have the potential to learn some really, really interesting things with these medicines that maybe they weren't learning back then. And you know why? No, no in disrespect to the, <laughs> our forefathers. <laughs> yeah, in, in my opinion, there's a big clear-cut reason why that is, is why these are paradigm-shifting modalities for the research world as well is because here you have this session say one to five six ten hours depending on the medicine where the transformation and the magic happens and you can you can watch it unfold where before we would have to give a pill like Prozac and wait six weeks for it to take its full effect and measure it in these one to two week increments. And there's a lot that happens in between, a lot of noise and other life variables in the mix compared to what happens through the course of, say, one six-hour MDMA therapy session for trauma. Yeah, so true. Uh, So do you guys have any specific examples of when you've seen this be, like, life-changing for clients or a big breakthrough for them? I've seen some OCD examples, like you mentioned, where it was truly a dramatic timeout. Um, so many examples in uh, eating disorders, anorexia, uh, getting a glimpse of a positive self-image and a break from that uh, self-critic. But then uh, a lot of uh, positive trauma examples as well, where yeah. people were able to go there when they previously just could not. It was It was too accessible going anywhere near it would light off the uh, amygdala's alarm bells mm-hmm. uh, into fight or flight mode immediately and this mm-hmm. uh, let us go there in kind of a calm and open state yeah i saw the same thing with a client who had complex ptsd had done therapy medication for years had tried to do a lot of trauma work and just was never really able to go there either because 
she wasn't in that window of tolerance and she used like you said she'd go into fight or flight or shut down completely and it for the first time forever it helped her get into a space where she could handle how difficult those things were and really process them and get them out of that fear center up into where she can make logical sense of it and process it and 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 then like watching that happen and then the result is sleeping better less nightmares less triggers less depression less anxiety because she was able to finally be able to confront the trauma in that sort of watching a movie sort of way instead of re-experiencing it it makes me think of the the concept from the fitness world of progressive overload so if you want to develop develop strength in a particular plane of motion um, you need to put resistance into that plane of motion but you're not going to start with a thousand pounds of resistance you're going to injure yourself Mm -hmm. and in from a physical therapy context if you have injured a joint or a bone or something like that um, you need to strengthen it, but first you're going to strengthen it by moving it through its healthy range of motion with support. You're mm. going to yeah. use a brace, or you're going to brace yourself by you know holding onto something else. You're going to use bands before you use weights. And so I think of ketamine as as sort of a scaffolding for somebody who's been injured. Their psyche has been injured by trauma, um, and it provides an opportunity for progressive emotional overload. Mm. So this person, you know, where they couldn't approach their trauma because it was too white hot. It was too mm-hmm. heavy to hold. It was putting too much pressure on that injured emotional tendon. I'm going all the way in <laughs> with this, no, it's <laughs> with this gr- metaphor. It's a great metaphor, yeah. Um, yeah. So with, with the, the scaffolding, the bracing that ketamine provides, they could then do the work they needed to do to build foundational emotional strength and then progressively overload to uh, end range. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. I, I like it. that. I made it through the yeah. <laughs> There's no, one. It was, it was great. Yeah. One other use I'll throw out there that I really like of psycholytic yeah. ketamine therapy, um, transpersonal work or mm. spiritual work, mm. where it just seems to be a great catalyst for uh, someone to access insights in therapy, especially yeah. connecting with something greater than, mm. you know, their kind of core unconscious beliefs and self-imposed limitations at that time and seeing beyond. Yeah. And I'm super excited to see how it works in couples work too, of having both of the couples dosed so that maybe some of their, um, you know, typical patterns of behavior or their triggers that they usually have maybe are tamped down a little bit so that they're able to not get as activated in the same kind of fights that they usually do or whatever, but to be able to be in that space where they're a little bit more there's less fear there's less there's less defensiveness mm-hmm. right we should do a study there there was uh, yeah i've given it to many couples and families together mm. um and uh, it's amazing to see the connecting potential there but there was a really interesting mdma study of ptsd um that ann wagner and maps did mm-hmm. out of out of toronto that gave it to both couples and it was really powerful yeah yeah i'm excited for the comparative studies where they compare psilocybin and mdma Mm. for particular Mm -hmm. indications or ketamine and mdma for that indication yeah because they all have their different flavors right and they Mm. might suit themselves better to certain sort of disorders or issues yeah and then the the combinations you know i've heard phil Wilson talk Mm. about using cannabis with ketamine Mm. and it creates a much smoother experience interesting for some people um, and, you know, I'm sure the underground world is on this, <laughs> has been on it for a long time, combining 
certain medicines, certain yeah. chemical cocktails. But but I have heard uh, many people, Phil included, Rick Doblin, Bessel van der Kolk, talk about uh, the sequencing of these, not mm. combining necessarily together, but mm. uh, using ketamine on the path to get ready for a psilocybin or MDMA uh, transformative session, for example. Yeah. 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 Or ketamine. I'm wondering even about ketamine as a, a stair step up to something that is typically more intense, like five mm. meo DMT or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ayahuasca. It just makes the the ramp up a little bit more gentle. Yeah, I I view it that way, and and I think uh, we've probably used it that way mm. um, a number of times get it, helping someone get ready for like Fari just said an ayahuasca experience or something of that sort because mm-hmm. it, it is uh, very predictable it's accessible, it's legal we can get mm-hmm. extremely pr- precise about dosage we can start low like we're talking about in psycholytic sessions we can go deeper and deeper yeah awesome well Good convo, folks. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Please uh, like and subscribe, all the perfunctory bullcrap. Um, mm-hmm. We do want your, your <laughs> listenership. <laughs> follow us on Instagram. Follow Steve. Follow me, yeah, at Dr. Steve Thayer. I wish I had a cool handle, like Reed, Interspace Doctor. Follow him. That's just because my name wasn't available. <laughs> <laughs> so you just had to come up with something super awesome. Instead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too bad. <laughs> thanks for joining us again, Barry. Oh, thanks for having me. It's Love so much company. fun. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thank you for joining us today. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. This will help us get into the ears and faces of more people and help us put wind in the sails of the psychedelic medicine renaissance. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So, if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.